people struggling, people dying. Every day's another headline. While people cheating, people lying, leaving everybody else behind. We can wait for somebody else to come along. We can get on our feet and shout it. Right now is the moment we've been waiting for. Right now, never been a better time. Hey everyone, welcome to the R Wisconsin Revolution podcast. I'm here with my co-host Anders Hanhan, and we have a special guest, our fellow and own OWR staffer, our, our John Calabrese. Uh, how you do? How you guys doing today? Doing good. I'm ready for a good podcast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. How, how about you, John? How you doing today? I'm doing well, Andre. Thank you for having me. And uh, my official title that. Uh, that you bestowed on me when when you hired me was chapter development lead organizer which is sounds pretty fancy but yeah. i like to sound fancy so i'll take it it's a fancy term for you do whatever i tell you to do <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking i'm joking but uh it, on a serious note um i think it's really cool that we have a team um that's very diverse and interesting and, and very different backgrounds so we're going to kind of get into this uh, a little bit you know you have a background with running for office you have a background with uh, being an elected official and definitely want to dig into that a little bit more um but yeah to kind of start off can you tell us a little bit about you know your background who you are and how you kind of got in the political mind space and world sure uh I see. We we only have an hour, so I mean, try to pare this down. Um, I, I was raised uh, super political by uh, my mother was the chair of the Republican uh, Party in the county of Livingston County in New York State, where I where I grew up, and so I was uh, uh, stuffing envelopes for George H. W. Bush at a young age at the Republican headquarters, and. Uh, and so that, you know, let me know about politics and what was going on in the political world from a very young age. And and uh, and then I kind of went away from it and and I, I left my uh, I left my parents in that political space and feeling like they weren't the vicious uh, Republicans that uh, that we kind of know today. It was just a difference of opinion. And I didn't know it too deeply as a kid, but uh it just didn't seem the same. It seemed like a, a a cordial thing where they could have some disagreements with people. And and that's how I viewed it. And then I grew up and went here and went there and sort of abandoned politics altogether. It just wasn't on my radar. And I uh, learned to trade. I'm a, a woodworker, carpenter. And then I moved out west to California where I uh, did that a bunch more and got a lot better at it. And I worked at a shop in San Jose for six years, worked with a lot of uh, uh, undocumented immigrants and uh, a wide array of, of Latino people and just kind of my eyes were opened up to how generally life works in my 20s and I and um, 
and I saw how not just life works and the struggle of work and of everything, but like how the how the top down nature of our of our country works, especially in a place like that with uh, the place. It was before 2009 in the in the Bay Area. So things were booming and it was a cabinet shop with 40 people or so in it. And there was never downtime and it was just go, go, go. And uh, eventually I became a supervisor and and then eventually the, the foreman and the other bosses would call me in and say, how do you how do you get these guys to to uh, work more? And, and from my perspective, they were all working pretty damn hard. And uh, I said, I don't know, uh, maybe keep everybody on the same raise schedule instead of only picking some people to give a raise and to give time off. And and I could you know, I could just see how they were being exploited and I could see the ones that were being exploited and I learned about what they do to survive the undocumented immigrants and, and uh, it just really opened my eyes and just changed my perspective in general uh, and started as blossomed a new perspective. And then uh, I met, uh, I met a girl and moved to the Midwest in 2009 and uh, got married and started a family. And when you do that, uh, and you start to read the news more and you start to see what's going on in the world. And, and uh, the Obama campaign kind of kind of turned me on to uh, a sort of hipper type of politics that for someone who had actually zero attention paid to it for so long, it wasn't like I'm waiting for something to draw me back in. It just it just happened to. And I and so I think having that perspective for so long helps me uh, now that I am in, engaged in politics, understand that there is this massive part of the populace who aren't just uh, disengaged because they're disillusioned or because they hate the two parties. Or be, like There are a ton of people in this country who politics at all is not on their radar in any way whatsoever. And it's possible if you just do sports, if you just uh, are into music or gaming or something, you, you can easily shut it out despite um, all that. And so I have that background. And then uh, I um, started trying to find news that that uh, I could trust, started listening to various podcasts online, led me to the Young Turks, led me to uh, Wolfpack, a, a group trying to get money out of politics, because I thought, what are all these things I'm thinking about climate change and um, uh, general corruption and the prosperity of, of people and equality of opportunity and how do people uh, make it when they have student debt and when they have to, how, who the hell can afford a house and all this stuff after the, especially after the crash of 2009. And it all led back to uh, the corruption. Like it's who's funding these politicians. Like if you just keep asking yourself why eventually you come down to that reason. And so I joined that group Wolfpack uh, just to do some, volunteer things make me feel better and and i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would and that's where i met andre and uh i became the state director for a while and we we did a lot of good work and i and i learned a whole lot about state politics um like when i was in california if somebody had asked me who my state who my congressperson was i would have had no idea let alone my state assembly person let alone city council let alone any like absolutely no idea and so i just didn't know how it worked and um but then i started to get to know a lot of these state lawmakers in wisconsin by name uh we were because that was a big part of what we did was just call and call and call and try to get a a uh, resolution passed through the legislature and 
my naivete uh, was uh, was in thinking that these elected officials were at the, at the very least, you know, uh, cogent uh, people who could string some sentences together, who may have had some education in their life that was worth anything that that like maybe cared a little bit about the people. And I was just blown away by obviously not in all cases, but in many cases, the caliber of people that I saw in that legislature and the, some of them, the rudeness with which they treated my volunteers. And like, uh, it was, I couldn't, I couldn't believe the depth of, of what I was seeing in there. And so then uh, a special election popped up in, in the district where I am. I'm, for those who don't know, I'm over in Dunn County, Wisconsin, which is on the Western side of the state. Uh, a lot closer to Minnesota than, than uh, Michigan or Illinois or anything. And, um, and back in 2017, there was a Scott Walker appointed the DAC cap secretary uh, to his, or the Senator from over here to his, uh, to be the DAC cap secretary, uh, Sheila Harsdorf. And so the seat was open and I thought, why not give it a shot? It was just a really short six week campaign and I lost in the primary to the eventual winner, uh, Patty Schachner. But then again, kind of like Wolfpack, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. And I started to meet all sorts of people. And I ran as a, a, a Democrat. Obviously, that's what the, the seat was open uh, in the primary for. And um, and then I started to learn how the party system works and all the the layers of that and the oddness of that and the corruption in that. And, and so that ended at, uh, in 2018, January. And so I sort of already had a team together. So I decided to run for state assembly and I did that, uh, two cycles in a row, 2018, 2020 and did not win. And, uh, it's a pretty red district over here, but, but we got relatively close. And, um, and then after 2020, I just, uh, for a myriad of reasons, not just for being a three-time loser, I was just sort of needed to take a step back. And, and uh, there was a couple moments afterwards where I just knew all sorts of assembly candidates who ran across the state and put in a ton of work who were putting their lives on hold to do it. And I know that, um, that not much changed at all, not much shifted at all. And there was a big, big loss for, quote unquote, Democrats and anybody who wasn't a Republican um, that year. And, and it was a gut punch and it was just horrific. And I remember the next uh, the next morning seeing uh, or hearing a clip of, of Ben Wickler, uh, the chair of the Wisconsin Dems, just glowing and giddy and bubbly and talking about what a wonderful election night it was. And it was just it was so happy that they they delivered the, the White House to that uh that old man who's there now. And, uh, and I just like, how can, like, I guess you could have a little bit of, uh, pride about that, but to not even mention the rest of the state and how nothing has changed and how it's and you know, and we'll talk about local politics here soon. Uh, how on the local level where it affects you much more arguably, uh, just not even a mention of it. And it's just like, what, what is this system? Like, you know, it's a, and it's now it's the back and forth of uh, you want to just leave it all behind, but you also realize that it is this political system that is brutalizing our families and our friends and our, in our communities. So it's like, you can be disillusioned and irritated by electoral politics, 
and the key. And I think that's what OWR is trying to do is how to, how to move around it, how to recognize that that's the system that we have and, and see what we can do about it. And so after a year off, I, I saw a listing that uh, OWR was, was hiring and I never wanted to be a political uh, person to get paid to do this just because I've been so turned off by so many people that do. Uh, and I know that I've also met some really good people that do, but it just didn't seem like it was a field I wanted to go in, but they were, you guys were all doing a, a reboot. And I thought um, if I can, if I can uh, use my skills and, and maybe get back that fire of the things that, that uh, inspired me and that I really like to do, which is just talk to people, uh, then uh, maybe I'll give it a shot. And so, and so here we are. Um, and I'm also on the Dunn County Board of Supervisors, and that is an elected official, but uh, elected position. But I can't take too much credit because I've run unopposed two times, which is the way to go if you want to win. Uh, but I've I really love that too, and that has also informed why I wanted to get involved with this because what I see on that board um, in this largely rural county. Uh, are people who I know for certain are conservative and vote conservative, but since they're on the board and they're dedicated to serving the people of Dunn County and figuring out the best way to, to uh, handle their tax dollars and deliver the services that we all need and keep the roads loud and keep the nursing home open and everything, then they get down into the nuts and bolts of the budget and through their committees and every year. And once they do that and they see all the stuff that the state of Wisconsin mandates that counties pay for, uh, the, the limitations they put on counties about how they can raise revenue and uh, how they can and cannot regulate their streams and their farms. And their, and so all these conservatives who, you know, when they're voting, you don't see that stuff on the news. Uh, you don't hear about it uh, when you're talking about politics, but then they're like, oh, wait a minute, this the state is doing this to the county? Like, this is why uh, people are complaining about property taxes. This is why we have to cut all these services and then they look into that and they're like oh well it's the conservatives who are making those rules and you know we can talk all day about uh whether it's largely their fault or the fault of weak democrats for not fighting back properly or whatever but 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 to see people who are definitely conservative eyes wide open to being like oh this is how it works and i also know for certain that, that many of them uh because of that vote they don't vote conservative all the time at the at the state level because they're trying to get those mandates changed they're trying to get the levy limits removed and and so it, it inspired me to think like if people actually knew what goes on then that's how you could change minds it's not going to be in my opinion uh the cultural issues or or uh the national politics so much and uh, finding the your neighbors and you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations and letting them know exactly why things work, showing them that we're here to help is, is what inspires me to keep uh, doing this and to keep doing the work on the board. That's a great, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing, John. Um, but so I, you mentioned, so you run for, you ran for assembly as a Democrat um, and now you hold an office, which is nonpartisan. 
Um, and in Wisconsin, like local elected office is the, all those races are nonpartisan, which I think I come from Minnesota where we have super PACs that <clears throat> fund Democrat, uh, Democratic candidates running against other Democrats in local politics. And I think it's like such a fascinating thing to come and work in the local elections here and kind of see that you know, what you're talking about, having those conversations with your neighbors or being able to work with people on the county board to solve problems without that partisan lens. How how important do you think that is like in your work as an, like in politics and as an elected official? You know, why do you think that like being able to be that elected official, but do it in a nonpartisan way? Why do you think that's so important? And why do you think that's like effective when you're working with people on the county board? Yeah, that's a good question. And I've thought about it um, when I have put my name down on the on the nomination papers each time. And uh, it's interesting that it's nonpartisan. And, and what my thoughts have been have been if it if it wasn't if it was partisan and I have to go on a, a very rural county where I, where I am, um, I would not put Democrat or Republican, I would probably put independent or, or make up a party because I know that it's, it's, uh, it's such a, there's really not a lot of attention paid to these county board seats. And so I've wondered if it was partisan, even in a county like this, would that make a difference in the, in the machinations of the board itself as, as things go? And I really don't think that it would that much, at least not immediately, just because of the, the people that I work with on there. And, and like, and like I said earlier, how they like it, it once you once you realize your, what your job is, there aren't we're not discussing abortion and we're not discussing gun rights and we're not discussing those those uh, issues that can cause contention. And and despite what a lot of people think there, we also aren't debating mandates and lockdowns and, and things like that. The, the Dunn County did not implement any public uh you know, binding policy as, as far as COVID goes. But I do think that uh, that it helps to not be, to, to have that nonpartisan label. And um, and I think that, but that's not the, the real reason. I don't think that, that it seems much less political at the county level. I think the real reason is that once you jump up to the state level, there is so much influence coming from, um, outside groups who are seeking to gain favor with the politicians, such as the, uh, you know, the Realtors Association and the manufacturers and comments that the, uh, the uh, Chamber of Commerce of the state. And, and there's so much more money at stake at the state level uh, where they can pour money into campaigns. And, and I know that it's different in, in larger counties, um, and we can raise money here in Dunn County, but no one does for the for the campaign. So there's there's not this push of outside influence other than the public. Um, and so I do think it's important, but uh, but at least at this level, I don't think it's the it's the most important thing. Most de- most definitely. And I think, um, you know, personally, I think all elections should be nonpartisan. But that's just my opinion, because. And we've talked about this before. As soon as you put that label on it and you knock on a person's door and you're like, hey, I'm 
X, Y, and Z party. It's just like, all right, get out of my face most of the time. Uh, and I've had that when I ran for uh, city council as well. People immediately ask you, Republican or Democrat? And if you say nonpartisan, oh, that's that's great. Let me hear what you got to say. Um, so I think personally, they should all be nonpartisan. I think we would get a lot more done. Um, I think there'll still be a lot of corruption because our campaign finance system. But, that, you know, I think, you know, just having those partisan parties definitely just hinders a lot of work that could be accomplished. But one of the things that I was very surprised about in my short time on the city council was how important uh, those budgets were, especially on a, a county or a city level. Um, it's pretty much the entire part of the job. Once that budget is passed, that's that's the big bulk of the work and everything else after that is kind of ceremonial and just kind of procedural. Um, and, and you kind of talked about this a little bit uh, when you were talking about when you got elected to the county board. In, in your opinion, um, what effect has it had, for example, shared revenue, the reduction of shared revenue to Dunn County on your county, for example, has it affected roads? Has it affected um, road maintenance? Has it affected um, anything that relates to to things that citizens use on an annual basis? Oh, definitely. Um, every year there are uh, the tough decisions have to be made. Uh, and because the cost of everything is going up, as everybody knows, and the the the, the share from the state that, that they give to the to the counties uh, is not going up. And while the lawmakers are um, at the state level are are talking about you know a surplus that they have, and um, and so the I know that the previous board, the previous county manager, had put together a, a plan to give to the to show to our uh, elected state officials of of a plan to just for cost of living increases percentage uh, year after year um, what that could do for the county because right now if you if you run the numbers out for a few years uh, it's just entirely unsustainable and. We are not quite in an emergency yet here in Dunn County, but uh, for example, the, the highway department gives their annual report um, and then and you see the cost of, of all the materials and it's, I mean, almost doubled for the, for the sand and the asphalt and all the stuff that they use and the salt on the roads, um, let alone the equipment costs. And now this year, what's, what's gonna be really jarring is the fuel costs. And, um, and so what happens? Uh, the counties are mandated to balance their budgets. That's a state statute as well. And so things have to be cut. And those are the tough decisions that have to be made. And it's usually uh, employees or some services. Uh, in my time, I have seen uh, the entire home health care department of Dunn County eliminated, which I think included about 20 jobs. Um, and the people in the county dedicated and caring, like did their best to try to find those people other work. But, you know, the home health care program served people all over the county because Dunn County has the city of Menominee uh, in it. And then there are a few other uh, rural uh, townships, Boyceville, Colfax, Elk Mound. But outside of that, it's ultra rural. And this home health care program provided uh, it had nurses uh, from the county and, and other caregivers that would go out to people's homes, you know, throughout the year when it's tough anyway for people who are uh, infirmed or, or elderly to get anywhere anyway, let alone the weather that we might have. 
and they could go just check in on them, administer drugs, uh, help them out. Um, and now it's just gone. It's just completely vanished. And, uh, and then we have to spend time, you know, doing whatever we can to raise revenue, which this time, uh, couple years ago included a wheel tax, which uh, counties are allowed to do if they can pass it on a uh, uh, referendum. And so extra 20 bucks, every, every car that you have, uh, every vehicle that you have in, uh, in Dunn County on your registration. And so people, you know, they get mad about, about that because they can see it on their registration every year. And they're like, you know, what the hell are you doing? And so it's, it means cut services, lost jobs, uh, bad faith in the community about about what you're doing, and then doubt and uh, confusion and accusations from the, the public, too, about the inept county board and the idiots on there who don't know what the hell they're doing. And and um, and so it's a it's a largely thankless job except for the the people who are on the board and the people who really know what's going on and those are some of the the side effects of just sort of letting the counties flounder and it's dangerous and it's um it's uh really unnerving and, and annoying but it's also a little fascinating to see what what the plan is from the state because i mean with the cost of everything I don't know 10 years 12 years at most until there's just absolutely like the, for example, the roads, uh, when they go down, it used to be they're on like a 20, 23 year cycle from like a complete re- rebuild, not just a patchwork or some asphalt work here and there. But but like the, the all the county roads of the county uh, should last about 23 years before you need to get one of those big old machines that chops it up and, and spits it out into a into a dump truck. And then they relay the whole road. And now that cycle is uh, up to 50 years. And so in that time, it's just, just going to crumble and fall apart. And, and so it's like, uh, as we know, with everything in politics and seemingly this, this whole country, it's like we, we the, the frogs in the boiling water are sort of like, everybody has a sense if they're paying any attention that this, thing, this can't last very long. And so it's, uh, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but this is just unsustainable. Yeah, and it is very unsustainable. And one of the things that I think you hinted at was that, you know, these state legislators, they do not have to take any blame for it. There's a number of reasons for that. One is gerrymandering. And the other is that they're kind of distant from the local. Uh, They're in Madison. They don't really have to engage with the public as much as the the local municipalities do, their county board or, or assembly or the city council people. So, for example, one of the things that I found very fascinating when I knocked on doors is that the number one thing that people wanted to see fixed was the roads. And then the second number thing, the second thing that they wanted to see go away was the will tax. <laughs> but they never understood about how shared revenue works. Um, so I thought that was very fascinating. And I just kind of wanted to point out how um, a state state representatives, they can get away with doing this because they don't really have to take blame or even if they do take blame for it, who's going to vote them out? It doesn't matter. Their, their seats are protected. So that was just more of a comment, less than a question on, on your uh, commentary on the whole shared revenue and local municipalities, local control. Yeah. And, and so, and I guess it's in my, my hopeful nature that, that like in this sort of uh, 
who knows what's going to happen and and coming up on a, a fiscal cliff sometime soon that's I, in in there is where I see that hope that I mentioned uh, a little earlier and and something we haven't touched on is is uh, healthcare and it's just fascinating to me how the, the politicians and the, of, of the day in, in, in DC and in all the state houses, like healthcare is a, uh, it is a topic, but the, but the, the minimal amount that an idea about like a national health insurance program is even really talked about, let alone talked about seriously is just mind boggling to me. I mean, I, I was, I was naive enough again to, to uh, think that during the pandemic, I was like, well, at the beginning of it anyway, I thought, uh, what's the bright side? Okay, this is insane. Like, you remember how it was at the beginning when people, you were, you were panicked to even pick up a grocery item and, and all, all, of, all of that that was going on. And, and I thought, well, I mean, this must be a, like a, the aliens are coming to invade us moment where it, what they'll do at least is just say, okay, everybody's got uh, Medicare. Everybody's covered. Let's just, let's, let's make this work. We're, we're Americans. We can, we can make it work. And I mean, we have the hospitals in place. We have all the things. And, and if you say that to somebody or uh, not just to politicians, but to people on the street, so many people have been propagandized so much to be like, Oh, you're crazy. We can't do that. That's impossible. You know? And, uh, but at the County level, um, those thoughts start to churn and you, because, you know, when you get down to the budget, like you said, Andre, it's the main thing that these local units of government do. You, I mean, at the end, they are nitpicking over a hundred bucks here and a hundred bucks there. And every single month, the county of Dunn, which is one of 72, one of the smaller ones, uh, spends at least a quarter of a million dollars a month on their health insurance program for their employees. That's a month. And if we had a national health insurance program, they wouldn't have that expense it would be the government pays for it and, you know, let all the comments fly about, I don't want to wait in line and this communism. And, and I mean, but what gives me hope is the people on that board who would maybe have said those things in the past, if they weren't on the board, who probably have voted for uh, all sorts of Republicans their whole life, probably still will, but they see that. And then when someone comes to the board uh, like some of our OWR committees are doing, trying to get uh, ballot measures and referendums, uh, the healthcare committee passed through county boards. The reason I thought that that was a great idea is because they see that budget and they think, oh, wait a minute. Uh, if we didn't have that massive expense, uh, what could we do as, as a county? What could we provide? Uh, what could we provide for our employees uh, to make it a more... Um, agreeable, uh, attractive place for people to want to come and work for the county. And just to, to be able to not be in such a, a panic all the time. And I hate to get off on a healthcare tangent, but man, I was trying to think the other day of something comparable to that. And like, uh, I mean, imagine if we had to pay at the county level uh, for each employee, the county was, was mandated to pay for uh, military insurance. And that's just the way it was. And everybody just knew that their whole life. So they didn't think twice about it. And it's like, yeah, we pay uh, 200 grand every month for military insurance for the employees. It's just, that's part of business. That's what, that's what employers do. And what do you want us to not be covered by, by the military? You hate to, you hate to have some country invade us. And, and that sounds ludicrous because that's not how it is, but that's how it is with our healthcare system. And 
I mean, the liberation on so many fronts of people's anxiety and all the, let alone the, the budgets of individuals and businesses and, and, and local government that would, uh, that would benefit from that is immeasurable. And so now, between now and the time, by the time I'm dead, I would like to somehow be part of millions of people in the street rattling the cages of any remaining lawmaker and saying, give us health care or else, you know? And uh, so that's what, that's what keeps me hopeful. I think, I think it's really interesting. And, and obviously both of you have that experience now where you can kind of take away like that big issue, like Medicare for all universal health care. And you can break it down and say, people in those local offices notice, notice that expense. And people in those local offices are, are compelled to make government work better for people. And they know that that's how to make government work better. And I think that an issue I know, I, I, have a friend who is running for assembly for actually Jim Steinecke's seat up in De Pere. Um, and I think something that's really concerning when we talk about like uh, the Demo- the democratic party is being, you know, one of, one of the possible um, organizations that could help start to implement these solutions if they, if they start to get their act together. Um, but Right now, there's all this emphasis on Tony Evers is a man made of Teflon. We need to put him up on a pedestal. We need to do everything possible to get Tony Evers reelected or all the wheels will fall off and the and the world will end. And while doing that, they have completely ignored all the assembly candidates and all the um struggling people dying every day's another headline while people cheating people lying leaving everybody else behind we can wait for somebody else to come along we can get on our feet and shout it right now is the moment we've been waiting for right now never been a better time 